This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Today is the long-awaited reveal of my preseason top 25. I know you're already asking, does he have Michigan ranked? Absolutely. We're also going to talk to Reese's Senior Bowl Executive Director Jim Nagy about his journey, why he likes Michigan and its offensive line so much, and what you should be watching for when you're watching college football this year. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, Ken folks? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about my top 25, and we're going to get to talk to Jim Nagy about what the Senior Bowl does and how the Senior Bowl does it going into this college football season. But let's get started right off the rip. Take a look at this top 25 that, my goodness, I probably spent way too much time trying to put together. All right, number one. The defending national champion two times over the Georgia Bulldogs. The way I want to get into this is Kirby Smart walked into Compton, California just last weekend and pulled out the number four running back in the 2024 class. That is what happens when you are not just a national brand, but you are the unquestioned czar in this here sport. Okay. The sport belongs to the Georgia Bulldogs. That's it. That's all of it. Even with Todd Munkin going to the NFL, Stetson Bennett, two-time national champion quarterback, going to the NFL. I think what we're really talking about is not just the 29-1 and record that they put together over the last two years or the number of draft picks that they put into the NFL or that Kirby Smart built this thing the way that he was taught to build it at Alabama and has done basically a better version of Nick Saban the last couple of years. It's that Mike Bobo is going to be tasked with not breaking what doesn't need fixing, okay? That offense does exactly what it needs to do for that defense to go out there and do what it needs to do. And as teams continue to get better in that league, Tennessee being one of them, LSU being another, Georgia continues to stay a cut above. Now it's once again about keeping hold of being the unquestioned lord of the sport. And that's going to start in earnest here in just a couple weeks' time. Number two on the list, you see them right there. It's the Michigan Wolverines. That is for me the second best team in all of college football for all the reasons that I would normally have dinged somebody. They, they went and fixed all that stuff. Look, they got a quarterback that can absolutely play in JJ McCarthy who won the job during the season and then turned out to be one of the better play action passers that we've seen in the sport. He is got two outstanding tailbacks in Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards who absolutely can carry the load. It's one thing for Blake Corum to put together the kind of Heisman caliber season that he did before his injury. It's another for Donovan Edwards to be able to go for 216 over Ohio State's dead body. That's the long and the short of it. You're also talking about a team that has really fallen short of expectations just once because I don't think many people expected to see the 2021 season that they had, yet they had it, right? And then 2022, they ran it back to prove it ain't no fluke. Win the Big Ten title, go into the college football playoff 13-0, and 0, 
and then get beat by Texas Christian. Here's the rub. Texas Christian was 5-7 in 2021. Texas Christian had a new head coach, had the second-stream quarterback starting most of the games. Texas Christian put up 51 on Michigan in a win, the Fiesta Bowl, to get to the national championship. So every time you hear me talk, you hear me say Texas Christian is the national title runner-up, and you also hear me say Michigan lost to them. That can't happen anymore. That's where you are now, Michigan. We are expecting you. I am expecting you. You're number two here. I am expecting you to be in the national championship game. That's what we do when we put together these preseason rankings. It is up to you to follow through. That means you got to do what you haven't done in Michigan history, and that is win a college football semifinal, which really doesn't make you much different than USC and Lincoln Riley. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But before we do, let's go to number three, Ohio State. Look, for me, it's not that we are saying that the Big Ten no longer belongs to Ohio State. It's that it's up to them to take it back. We thought we were going to see some sort of real redemptive go at Michigan at the shoe last year. It did not come into fruition. One of the major reasons that Ohio State failed to win that game, and by extension, the Big Ten championship, but also right got its way into the college football playoff is the offense. We knew what C.J. Stroud was about. Marvin Harrison Jr. turned out to be the best wide receiver on that team, even as we expected Jackson Smith and Jigba to be a Heisman caliber player, didn't play much. Travion Henderson was hurt some of the year. Mayan Williams was hurt some of the year, but they're losing Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones on that offensive line. Still the offense goes, right? And that's the reason why they were this close to beating the defending national champion, Georgia Bulldogs, a missed field goal, one play short at the stroke of midnight. Even so, they lost that game to Michigan, right? And they lost the game to Georgia. Why? Wasn't the offense's fault. Defense has got to keep a lid on it. That's the long and the short of it. I mean, I went into this in some length, but you heard it when I spoke to Ryan Day at Big Ten Media Days. They're as close as they've been since 2019 to having an outstanding defense, and that is what they have been missing. What Jeff Halfley, Jace Young, and those guys were able to do in 2019, they have not been able to replicate in the Ryan Day era. And we're talking about the Buckeyes, who gave up an average of 39.3 points to top 15 opponents last year. 39. They gave up 42 to Michigan and 45 to Georgia. You got to keep a lid on it. You can't allow these big plays to happen. No doubt, no one doubts that Michigan, or excuse me, Michigan, that Ohio State has everything they can, they have or need to beat Michigan. It's whether or not they can put it together, right? And I think that game, once again, will be, have national championship implications. We already know that it's going to have college football playoff implications. All they got to do is keep up their ends and make it to the rest of that, uh, through the rest of that schedule undefeated. Now, let's go to number four. You're going to see USC here. I like USC in this spot for the same reason that I liked Oklahoma in this spot in 2017, 2018, 2019. We know that they have the best quarterback in the sport, unquestionably. He's got the Heisman Trophy to prove it, okay? We know that Lincoln Riley is one of the best developer of quarterbacks and best play callers in the sport, right? He's made the college football playoff. He's won conference championships. He has not done that at USC. However, he did flip a 4-8 and program to an 11-3 and program. And he did that primarily by having an outstanding offense and outstanding play from his quarterback. Even so, the Achilles heel for USC is the same one for Ohio State. It's what the defense can or can't do. And as bad as Ohio State's defense was last year, it was not as bad as USC's. We are talking about an Alex Grinch defense that gave up 47 in a loss Pac-12 championship to Utah and 46 in a loss in the Cotton Bowl to Tulane. Okay? Now, Tulane's a good football team. And most people will tell you that. 
But we in college football care about blue bloods and brands, and there's not one in which Tulane is supposed to beat the blue blood that is USC. That can't happen. But the reason that it did is you gave up all of these points and all this yardage, particularly in the fourth quarter. Really interesting note from Bruce Feldman in a story he wrote for The Athletic. The USC Trojans gave up an average of 16.5 points in the fourth quarter of their last four games last year. You can't even keep a lid on it when it's time to keep a lid on it. That's got to change. Alex Grinch has never had a top 15 defense since Oklahoma or SC. The best he was able to do was 28th while working for Riley, and that's in the junk statistical year that is 2020. To win national championships, you have to have a top 15 defense and a top 15 offense. You cannot win national championships without having both. The closest that we got to this is store is store brand is Cam Newton at store brand Auburn, where he carried that 2010 team to a national championship with the number 22 defense scoring related. Remarkable feat. One of the reasons why Cam Newton is one of the best college football players of all time. If Caleb Williams can do the same, it's not just that we're going to be rewriting the books on Lincoln Ryland at sea. It's that we're going to be writing the college football all time greats list. Caleb Williams can put that together even at a place like SC. Number five on the list, I got Penn State in year 10 of the James Franklin era. We're talking about putting together his best team probably since he's been at Penn State. You know he's got the defense to go do it. You know Nick Singleton and Katron Allen can run the ball. And you know that Drew Alar is really talented. But he's going to be put through his paces this year as Penn State expects to be in this conversation to play for the conference championship. I really think this is important to point out. Penn State won the Rose Bowl last year. And the reason I think it's important to, uh, to actually point that out is they were the third best team in their own damn division. That's what happens when you got Ohio State and Michigan in your division. One of the other reasons why I'm so excited to see the Big Ten abolish these divisions. They suck. They have prevented us from having really outstanding conference championship games. But now Penn State has an opportunity to just get one before we do all of this. They got to get past Ohio State, Michigan, in addition to the rest of their schedule. Number six, I got Alabama here. The SEC no longer belongs to the, with two new coordinators, right? A quarterback derby, LSU, Tennessee resurgent, and the Bulldogs busting college football's head to the white meat. This is a bet on Nick Saban. Now, are we in the twilight of Nick Saban's Alabama? I don't know. I don't know. But it ain't noontime, okay? It ain't afternoon. We're heading towards evening because we're talking about a football coach who's approaching 70 in October and has been sustained excellence since 2006, 2007, 2007. I'm really interested to find out which one cracks first, the rest of college football, or can Nick Saban really do this? Can he overhaul the defense, the offense, have a quarterback derby where we don't think that the best player in football is an Alabama quarterback for the first time in some time, right? And still go win, not just, an SEC championship and a national championship. We'll have to find out. If you are bullish on Alabama, you are bullish because of Nick Saban. If you are bearish, it's because of everything else. But college football is still the only sport where a head coach can have this much influence on a program's winning and losing. Number seven, I got Tennessee here. I really liked Hendon Hooker and his play last year. I always thought that Joe Milton was the more talented quarterback. It's about could he do the things that Hendon Hooker could, which is complete the throws that are there to be completed. And throw it tremendously accurate downfield. We know that he's got a howitzer for an arm. We know that he is capable of moving around. We know that he is every bit of six foot five, 230. 
it's about can he operate with the level of proficiency that Hendon Hooker could when he led Tennessee to its best season since basically 2004. And we got a Tennessee team that, you know, every year they run the, the gamut because they have Alabama as their crosser. But they have not made a New Year's Six Bowl since 2004, and they haven't had an 11-win season since last year, since 2001. Oh, both of those things were true, I, I guess. Well, they had a New Year's Six Bowl last year when they played against Clemson in the Orange Bowl. So it had been that long, I guess, is the point that I would raise there. But can they do it again? That's what's more interesting, especially as Josh Heupel has now solidified his place as Tennessee's guy. And this is the last year for which they don't have to contend with OU and Texas, which is also a game that I'm very excited about because, you know, Josh Heupel not only was quarterback at, uh, at Oklahoma, but he got fired and made way for Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. So there might not be any love lost there for those of y'all that aren't familiar. Number eight, I got Clemson. I think they're eight here because Clemson play caller Garrett Riley had Texas Christian humming last year. Last year, Clemson did not have a 3,000-yard passer and a 1,000-yard rush in the same year. It's the first time uh, they haven't had that since 2019. Now I'm looking at Texas Christian, who had both of those things last year, 3,600-plus from Max Duggan and 1,500-plus from scrimmage with a 1,399 on the ground from Kendra Miller. I think what Garrett Riley does for them is give Kate Klubnick and Will Shipley those opportunities. I think you're going to see a 3,000-yard passer, and you're going to see a 1,000-yard rusher. It might be Shipley. It might be Kobe Pace. We'll see what uh, what that looks like. Number nine, I got Utah, the two-time defending Pac-12 champions, the two-time defending conference champion. People keep forgetting. The Utes are still looking to earn their first college football playoff invitation, but you beat up on USC twice in the same year, and nobody wants to give you any credit. I think they're going to have to run the table and win the Pac-12 championship to get their invitation because. We've always kind of looked at the Pac-12 as being an also-ran in this college football playoff era because basically since Oregon, they haven't had anybody that we had to care about in the college football playoff. And Washington got beat 24-7 in 2016, but also it was a game for which Alabama did not play its best. We know this because Lane Kiffin got fired after this game for calling plays that they hadn't even run in practice, and they still were able to beat Washington. What I'm saying here is, Utah's going to have to prove it, and they need to play this season like they're still in the Mountain West as opposed to being in the Pac-12 if they expect to be in contention for a national championship. And remember, Kyle Whittingham has done this before, right? 08, Utah, outstanding. Beat Nick Saban, right, in a, in a bowl game, 2008. Number 10, I got Florida State here. Guy to watch uh, is Jared Verse and Jordan Travis. Jared Verse on the edge, Jordan Travis at quarterback. After beating up on my Oklahoma Suitors in the Cheez-It Bowl, they got my entire attention. Plus, Mike Norvell is outstanding. I've known Mike Norvell since he was a grad assistant at the University of Tulsa, and I was an undergrad. Outstanding football coach. Excited for him. This might be Florida State's best opportunity to win a conference championship since 2014. And the first of his tenure, Florida State would like nothing more than to take over the ACC as it looks like they're making loud noises about leaving it. Number 11, I got Washington coming off an 11-win season. One of the best offensively statistical statistical years in University of Washington history. And Kalen DeBoer's year 2022 was outstanding. I really loved what Michael Penix Jr. was able to do. 4,600 yards through the air. Lefty quarterback. Somehow people decided that lefty quarterbacks can't play. And then I point out all these lefty quarterbacks that could. Steve Young, Tua Tonga-Baloa. I keep down going down the list. Tim Tebow. Even though, my goodness, I never wanted to use Tim Tebow to make my argument stronger. But here we are. Anyway, Washington at number 11. Number 12, I got the University of Texas. I'm going to spend a little time here. If you were paying attention 
to my top 25s over the course of the year, for which I put out something like 20 a year, right? You'll see my way too early top 25 had Texas 12 spots lower, but they have climbed to number 12. The reason is it's not just that Quinn Ewers is healthy. It's that he's in outstanding shape. You could see his cheeks are chiseled. You could see they have him on a program, nutrition program. You could see he's been in the in the weight room, and everybody else around him has also gotten to be a year older. Kelvin Banks, offensive tackle, he's a year older. Jalen Ford, All-American, he's a year older. Jontae Cook is coming in to give them a little bit of punch on that wide receiver group. A.D. Mitchell is expected to be a game changer for the University of Texas, and that's before we talk about Xavier Worthy and that really talented backfield. I understand Bijan Robinson is an all-time player for the University of Texas. But that running back room has guys in it that can produce. It's about can they produce at the level collectively that Bijan was able to produce for the last two years at the University of Texas. And Steve Sarkeesian understands this is what he came to Texas for, is to have these sort of expectations where they're expected to win the Big 12 championship, where they're expected to carry their weight in the SEC in the years to come. And I really like a head coach that is embracing all of the pressure that comes with being asked to go win championships. He's done that. He understands how to do that. And we all know what kind of a developer of quarterbacks he is. And let's not forget Quinn Ewers at one point, number one player in all of high school football and a five-star recruit. Number 13, I got Oregon. Really loved the hire of Willie Stein. He's going to be tasked with not breaking Bo Nix, who found himself, found some form that we never seen from that dude before Oregon last year. And frankly, there's no Georgia on the schedule. But there's no 49-3 whooping on the schedule. Maybe they get to 11 wins. Maybe they get to 12. We'll see. Number 14, I got LSU. All right. LSU last week had players throwing hands at practice in front of media. I bring that up not because it's embarrassing, but because the last time that we heard chirping like this in 11 on 11 for LSU, it was Patrick Queen going at Joe Burrow. That team ended up going 15 and 0 and win the 2019 National Championship. We know that Brian Kelly is a hell of a football coach. We know that Jaden Daniels is expected to contend for the Heisman Trophy. We know that Harold Perkins is one of the best defensive players walking, and they didn't ask that dude to do too much. They just asked that, dude, hey, man, can you go hit people? They're just running around hitting people. And my goodness, did he ever hit people against Arkansas? They have what it takes to defend their SEC West Championship, but they're going to have to do it once again over Alabama's dead body. That game ain't at Tiger Stadium. You're asking a lot, I think, of this LSU program going into year two. But, hey, LSU fans think that they're a top-10 team. Far be it from me to tell you that they're not after winning that SEC West championship. Let's see you climb through these rankings. Number 15, speaking of people that might feel disrespected, Texas Christian here. Texas Christian is going to have to prove to us that they're not a flash in the pan and that they're carrying this Big 12 banner saying, here I stand. Look, Chandler Morris was the QB1 to start last year, which means that no matter how you slice this up, Texas Christian finished as the national title runner-up with the QB2 running the offense. Now, there's no Garrett Riley there. Kendall Browse has that spot. Joe Gillespie's still there, and they went into the portal heavy and hard to replenish what they lost, but they also got four dudes from Alabama, including Trey Sanders, JoJo Earl, and uh, Tommy Brockemeyer, they got some guys that I really like on offense and defense. 
but not so much that I expect them to win the Big 12 championship because they didn't win the Big 12 championship last year. It's really hard to ignore that. Number 16, I got Notre Dame. As I wrote last month, Sam Hartman is the best quarterback Notre Dame has put on the depth chart since Brady Quinn. Quite honestly, the most prolific quarterback in Notre Dame history by virtue of what he did at Wake Forest. Like he went for 3,700, 38 TDs, 12 INTs in 2022. 2021 was outstanding, 4,200 pass yards, 39 TDs, 14 INTs. The best statistical year that any player at Wake Forest had had since store brand Cam Newton, that would be Jamie Newman. I really think that Audric Estime is going to be up for a 1,200-yard rushing season. I think Jared Parker is going to do a great job of getting that dude the rock. It's about who's going to catch passes from Hartman. Can't wait to see what that looks like. But whomever it is, probably going to get a bunch of targets because that's the kind of offense that Parker is most familiar with. Number 17, I got UCLA. Chip Kelly needs a quarterback. That's it. He's got a derby going on right now. Ethan Garbers, Colin Schley, Dante Moore are the three that we expect to be the guys that are contending for that job. It's about making the right call right away to get UCLA on the good foot. They won eight games in 2021. They won nine games in 2022. They could be looking at their first 10-win season since 2013 if they get this right. Number 18, I got Kansas State. Defending Big 12 champions, but there's no Deuce Vaughn here. Okay? It's Will Howard or Bust. And Will Howard, who is 6'5", 240, and can absolutely run, is capable of bringing them back to the Big 12 championship and leading them to a win. Also, a quarterback that's majoring in accounting has all of my respect. Also, he has time to do these things because he knows how hard it is to study for accounting, let alone what it is to study for Big 12 defenses. Number 19, I got Wisconsin here. When North Carolina coach Mac Brown said he was going back to North Carolina, the first person he called was Lincoln Riley. He asked Lincoln Riley and then Cliff Kingsbury, who would they go get as their offensive coordinator? because he thought that they were operating at the highest level of offensive scheme in the sport. And what did he say? I want to be Oklahoma. And Lincoln Riley, Kip Kingsbury, pointed to Phil Longo and said, that's the guy I would go get. Went and got Phil Longo. And all Phil Longo has done since being at North Carolina, now the offensive coordinator at Wisconsin, is produce a player in Drake May who was generational. We're talking about a dude that passed 4,000 yards, had 35 pass TDs, Rushed for 650 yards, had seven TDs in a season. Others that have done that, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, Marks Mariota, Johnny Manziel, and RG3. Deshaun Watson is the only one of those guys that didn't win the Heisman. Tanner Mordecai has the goods to do just that. And if you're running that offense the way that it can run, you also understand that you got Braylon Allen and Ches Malusi back there, who, for me, are the best couple of runbacks that Longo has had since Michael Carter and Javante Williams in North Carolina. I think you're in a really good spot with a defensively-minded head coach in Luke Fickle, who's very much about Wisconsin tradition and running the football and also looking to extend their consecutive winning seasons to 22 in a row. Just remarkable what they have done. I think they're going to be good in 2023. Number 20, another outlier for me, but you know what it is. I like Colorado. I think Colorado is good. I think Colorado is going to be the most remarkable turnaround since Tulane. Last year, right? One of the reasons I believe this is Coach Prime has done an outstanding job of really filling up that roster with dudes that can play. Okay, put it this way. Last year, quarterback JT Strout led Colorado in passing. He passed for 1,220 yards, seven TDs, eight INTs. I bring that up to once again tell you, Shadur Sanders was one of three quarterbacks 
to pass for 3,700 yards, have 40 pass TDs, six or fewer INTs in a year. The other guy to accomplish that feat. The number two overall pick in this year's draft, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, Houston, Texas quarterback C.J. Stroud, and the Heisman winner, Kayla Williams. I don't know why I have to keep telling people this over and over again. Shadur Sanders can sling it. I'll give you another stat. That dude is 70 and 8 as a starter since high school. I don't care what level of football you play at. You win 70 games, you lose eight, you're a winner. That is what Colorado is. And that's before I start talking about dudes like Alton McCaskill, who, when he was healthy, one of the best tailbacks in all the sport. Travis Hunt is going to go both ways. I keep going down the list here on why I like this team, but it's got everything to do with Coach Prime. It's got everything to do with how he has built. He brought in outstanding play callers in Sean Lewis and Charles Kelly. If you're not on the train, you're probably going to wish that you were on the train. I got him at number 20. Number 21, I got South Carolina. All right. Shane Beamer has been called college football's Ted Lasso. He might need to be. Because I don't know if you remember or not, but AFC Richmond got his head kicked in to start this third and final season. And they had to run a gamut too. Okay? It's like having Manchester City, Barcelona, and let's call it, let's call it Juventus on the schedule going into this year. Because they got at North Carolina, at Georgia, at Tennessee in the first five weeks of the season. And this is the second half team, right? Because they beat both of the teams that played in the Orange Bowl last year, Clemson and South, uh, excuse me, Tennessee on the back end. But they're going to have to get through the front end to make this look up. I really like what they have. I love the addition of Nick Harbour. I love Spencer Rattler going into what I hope is a magic year for him. But it's going to take some things for the Gamecocks to end up where they want to be, which is playing for the SEC championship. And that means you got to get past both Georgia and Tennessee to say nothing of, once again, their non-conference slate, which begins with North Carolina. Number 22, I got Oregon State. They were a quarterback away last year. Now they have that quarterback in former five-star DJ Uwe Ungalale. By the way, I'm going to keep saying Uwe Ungalale because you know me and names, but there still are a large number of folks with microphones in front of their faces that are scared to say that man's name. You can practice in the mirror like me. Number 23, I got Texas Tech. The Red Raiders knocked off perennial Big 12 conference champ Oklahoma. Texas in the same year, and we're picked to finish third in the conference. If that doesn't make you chippy, I don't know what is. Didn't it be Ole Miss in a Texas Bowl? Yeah, if you're Joe McGuire and the Red Raiders, you got something to show, and it is the Tyler Shuck show. I'm excited. They also got Oregon on the schedule. That ought to be a fun because he was once quarterback at Oregon, led them to the Fiesta Bowl in his last year there. Okay, number 24, my Oklahoma Sooners. All right, I wrote about this early in the summer. And if I go into my woosaw moments, y'all that have been on the show for a while understand, but it starts with, you can't give up 30 a game ever, but especially at Oklahoma, especially with Brent Venables as your head coach. Ted Roof needs to produce a championship caliber defense full stop. Again, 30 a game, good enough for 99th out of 131 teams to score in defense. You're always playing from behind if that's the case. Now, they went into the portal to try to make up for some of the talent deficiency that they suffered after the mass exodus that followed Lincoln Riley. Uh, going to USC. But Rondell Bothroy could play. Jacob Lacey can play. Sam McCullough can play. I just need you to put it all together. And I think with 36 years in the sport and 12 different stops as defense coordinator, Ted Roof knows what it means to call a really great defense. Hell, he was over there with Brent Venables when he was doing a damn thing at Clemson. 
I just want some of the Clemson magic to rub off on the Oklahoma Sooners. That's all I'm saying. Whatever you were doing between 2014 and 2020 at Clemson, I'd like to see it at Oklahoma. Uh, Monique Boyce, I would like to see it. That's what I'm saying, okay? Number 25, I got the Iowa Hawkeyes, who, like Oregon State, have been a quarterback uh, away, but for the last two years. Quiet as it's kept. The Hawkeyes have had the second-best scoring defense in the sport for two consecutive years. They have been outstanding. You put that defense with almost any other program, they're playing for a national championship. It's the offense that held them back. I mean, it doesn't get lower as an Iowa fan when you know that there is a clause in your offense coordinator's contract that says he's got to score this minimum amount of points to receive his full salary. Hopefully bringing in a guy like Cade McNamara makes that a funny point by the end of the 2023 season because Cade McNamara knows what it takes to win Big Ten championships because he did, knows what it takes to make the college football playoff because he did. He's also just the kind of quarterback that Iowa would love, a guy that is going to keep the offense out of bad situations and manage the game and not get in the way of the defense. The problem that I think Iowa fans and or people that are not rooting for Iowa might not get is this is the same recipe that worked at Georgia. This is the same recipe that worked at Alabama up until Jalen Hurts showed up. You can win championships with an offense that does not shoot itself in the foot and a defense that plays lights out. That's going to be on Phil Parker to try to get the best out of guys like Tuber DeGene, and it's going to be on Cade McNamara to just elevate the position for which he transferred into play. All right, now let us talk to Reese's Senior Bowl Executive Director, Jim Nagy. I'm pleased to be joined by Executive Director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, Jim Nagy. Jim, spent 18 years as an NFL scout, an area scout for the Southeast for Seattle Seahawks before accepting his post at the Reese's Senior Bowl, where he's been since 2018. And he's been a part of four Super Bowl winning teams, two for the Pats, two for, one for the Packers, one for my father's Seahawks. He's very excited about this. And he is a Michigan man. Jim, thanks so much for taking time to join us here. How you doing? Yeah, I'm great, RJ. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to talk with you because we here at the number one college football show are very interested in what the University of Michigan is doing. And you had a tweet that took on its own level of virality. We're talking about Michigan and its offensive line. I'm calling the Nagy Nasty Seven here. Zach Zenter, <laughs> Trevor Keegan, Drake Nugent, Trente Jones, Kareem Barnhart, Miles Hinton, and Ladarius Henderson. Why do you think that this group could be so good? Because they're all NFL guys mm. uh, to one degree or another, right? Mm. Uh, you know, Keegan, uh, Keegan and, and Zach Zinner are probably the, the household names uh, for Michigan fans. They've been part of the last two Joe Moore Award uh, winners, which is the best offensive line in college football. So, um, so those guys are household names. But, you know, bringing in guys like Henderson and Hinton, um, Nugent from other schools, you've got seven guys at one school in the same class, RJ. You know, this has happened before. There, there's been other offensive line rooms around college football over the years since I've been in scouting that have had seven pros at the same time, not in the same class. So very unique. Who knows? Maybe a couple of guys will stick around um, next year. And they all got an extra COVID year. I mean, that's the thing. That's what makes everyone in personnel's job hard right now is like, who's leaving for the draft? Who's not? Who's using the COVID year? Who's not? Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty unique to have seven guys in the same class that could all go out in the same draft and all have a chance to be drafted. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, hasn't happened in my 25 years in scouting. I know that. 
Well, it's one thing to say that they're all good and they're all coming out at the same time. It's another thing to say that they're the first uh, group that's part of a two-time Joe Award, Joe Moore Award-winning which offensive line, which has been around since 2015. So we still got a smaller sample size to go there. Yeah. But Michigan historically has been a place that values running the football. And you being an alumnus and you having watched that team for better part of your life, what do you think makes Michigan so good, regardless who the head coach is, at producing great offensive linemen? Well, the tradition for sure, the history. I think players want to go places where they feel like they're going to get developed to make it to the next level, right? So there's been all these NFL guys going back, you know, Steve Hutchinson, um, who's on the Seattle scouting staff. He kind of was coming in when I was going out to take this job. You know, Hutch is a gold jacket guy. There's been a number of them. Um, you know, I think Michigan's getting back to the roots a little bit, running the football with Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum. Um, being what they are, and you really got to play to to where you're at, right? I mean, you're up in Michigan. You're, you don't need to throw it around. I mean, we're down here in Alabama. We're down here in the South. I mean, it's warm down here. You can throw it around through the season. Um, you get up in Big Ten country at, around Halloween time um, and through Thanksgiving. I mean, it, you don't know what you're going to get. Um, there, Michigan played a couple snow games last year. Uh, um, so they're getting back to the roots. And I think players, going back to the player part, they want to go to a place where they can know they can get to the next level. And, and right now, Michigan's proven that. I'm glad you brought up the weather because one of the things that I always think is interesting in this era where we want to throw the football more than we've ever thrown the football, I understand why. You know, I'm I'm an air raid quarterback myself. But when you get into <laughs> the winter, November, December, at every level, it seems like the teams that can run the football are the ones that are there at the end. And they got a couple of two tandem, uh, a tandem uh, set of tailbacks that you mentioned in Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum that can help them do that. But the thing that I always thought was most interesting about them is we don't particularly care about who the quarterback is until the quarterback shows up and he can sling it. What do you <laughs> see from J.J. McCarthy that allows you to believe, oh, my goodness, we got one that could go for 4,000 if he needed to go for 4,000? You know, J.J. came in. He was the first five-star quarterback in a long time at Michigan. I, I don't follow the high school stuff nearly as closely as, as the draft process, obviously. But but they hadn't had a five-star quarterback in a long time. And you hadn't really seen him play until he got into that bowl game, that college football playoff semifinal a couple of years ago when, when they pulled McNamara, put J.J. in against Georgia. The game was already out of hand. Um, but then you really saw the tools. I mean, Cade McNamara is a good college quarterback. He's won a lot of games at Michigan. There's a lot of Michigan people are going to, you're going to love Cade McNamara, um, a really efficient player, but the, the, the arm strength, the athleticism, it just, it looked just watching the TV copy. I mean, that night watching it on the tube, I mean, you could see, you could see the difference. So really high end uh, physical traits. That's what the NFL is looking for right now. He's athletic. He can throw it. Um, this will be a big year for him. Now he's going in a year or two as the starter full time. Um, I'm looking to see that jump. I mean, I think that's why everyone's so high on Michigan right now, because if JJ does take the jump, I mean, now look out because you know they're going to be able to run the football. If J.J. can take that next step, um, it's going to be a tough team to beat. I don't want to put you on the spot too much here, but I am going to say after coming off of two college football playoff appearances, winning back-to-back -back Big Ten championships, and looking at the roster as it is constructed, would you say that this is the best Michigan team we've seen in the last 25 years heading into the season? You know, they've been really good the past two years. Let's not lose sight of that. They've lost a lot of good NFL players just in the just in the edge category. Look at like the outside linebacker room. You've had the Rashawn Garys, the Quiddy Pays, the Aiden Hutchinsons, the David Ajabos. I mean, these guys are all top 50 NFL draft picks. So they've had a lot of talent. But you look at the offensive line, you look at the two running backs, you look at the quarterback. Um, this is probably their best team and most experienced team. And you, now you've got a, a roster full of players 
that lost those two games and should have a massive chip on their shoulder um, and not want to repeat that. So, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of reason for optimism. And I think a lot of it is because Jim's kept that team intact. Not, not a lot of transfer portal, um, a lot, not a lot going out of Ann Arbor, a lot coming in, not a lot going out. Um, and guys have been through two really hard season ending losses the last two years and, and want to prove themselves. I'm very excited to see what Michigan has. I have them at number two in my preseason ranking at Fox Sports, which means I expect them to make that national championship game, maybe get a redemption game against Georgia. It'd be a, a lot of fun to watch. I want to transition a little bit back to you personally and talk a bit about your journey. And I would be remiss if I did not start with having graduated in 96 from Michigan, your overlap with Tom Brady, who for many is the most recognizable Michigan football player, if not one of the best. I mean, Charles Woodson was my guy when he was playing at the time for obvious reasons. Yeah. But what did you see in Tom that might have led you to believe, oh, he can not just do it at the NFL level. He could probably do it at a very high level. You know, I think, again, it's kind of revisionist history now. But the thing Tom's always had is, is the competitive fire. Um, I remember when he was a freshman and he was the seventh string quarterback. Um, there was a lot of good players in front of him. And he took that challenge. He moved all the way from from San Mateo, California, uh, to be the seventh string quarterback, believing in himself. Uh, I don't think anyone would have said he would have won seven Super Bowls when it was all said and done. But when you see Tom in those critical situations in games, even going back to his time at Michigan, right? I mean, he stepped up in big moments. And I think I think what we lose sight of, Tom was 17 and four as a starter at Michigan. People act like Tom barely played at Michigan. He played a lot of good football there. Um, but, but going back all the way back to that time, um, when, when he needed to make a throw and he needed to move his team, critical moment, two minute end of game, um, he came through. And I think that's where as an evaluator, I think a lot of people have learned that lesson from Tom is you really watch the quarterbacks in the moments that really count in the game, um, and what they do in those moments. So yeah, unbelievable career, uh, man, it's going to be, it's going to be weird not watching him. So, so the NFL just seems different without him. It just, it's, uh, just seems like a different league. Certainly. I mean, 20 years playing in this league, doing what he did, it does feel like he's just become a part of the furniture. So I'm with you on <laughs> how the transition has gone. But also, I'm very interested if you can tell us a bit about how to be better fans watching the sport and getting to understand the sport, because you put in the miles, you put in the days, I believe at one point in your career, you're on the on the road 190 nights a year. How does the game evaluate today versus then? And how can we as fans better watch the game and be better fans about what we're seeing. Yeah, RJ, that's why I'm sitting in this chair. That scouting mm -hmm. life is, is not all it's cracked up to be sometimes. I mean, that's a lot of time away from your wife and kids. I'll, I'll say that. Um, I, I would say take your eye off the ball a little bit. You know, like I think everyone's focused on, a lot of people are focused on watching the ball and where that goes. I think you see some of the best football in the trenches. Um, you know, I think big picture sometimes, if you, you know, if you don't have a huge background in football and you just want to watch, it's hard to know what all 22 parts are doing, but watch those trenches, man. You watch the big guys. That's why I think people love senior bowl one-on-one -on -one battles because they watch the offensive line and defensive line. And you watch two big 300 pound guys collide and you can kind of tell who got the better of the, of the other guy. Right. Um, so that I would say that watch the big guys. I don't think a lot of people are inclined to watch the uh, O-line D line. Um, and there's some fun football in there. Absolutely. And I want to get into the specifics of what you are watching as you prepare to invite guys to the Reese's Senior Bowl and also want to acknowledge the tremendous success that the Senior Bowl has had more or less since you took over. It's already been an institution. We've been watching that game for some years. But my goodness, when I see some of the guys that come through there and I see the way in which you are able to market 
the Senior Bowl. I am blown away uh, as an Oklahoma fan, seeing the <laughs> Oklahoma on one side of Jalen Hurts' helmet and the Alabama on the other side. I said, okay, so, somebody was thinking this went through. Somebody's going to make sure <laughs> that everybody understands that we know what Jalen represents to the sport. How has that transition been for you, and how do you go about, well, evaluating the players that you want to invite to the Senior Bowl? Yeah, that Oklahoma thing, that went for a lot of money. We auctioned that off. That uh, that Jalen helmet went for a lot of money. Uh, no, the Senior Bowl has been great for a long, long time. I, I will say this. I mean, we have we have used social media to market the game and, and really – and really get it out there. What a great game this is. Um, you know, the, the folks here in Mobile, this, this is, we're getting ready to celebrate our 75th anniversary um, this year. And we're putting together a 75th anniversary team a minute. And we're only taking players from the last 25 years because we already did a 50th anniversary team 25 years ago. Uh, but I mean, you're talking the defensive line is going to be DeMarcus Ware, Aaron Donald, Michael Strahan. The linebackers are going to be Derek Brooks, Patrick Willis, um, you know, Brian Urlacher. So, I mean, I think that's who they'll be. Well, they'll, they'll be on the ballot. I don't know. We're doing a fan vote, so we'll see who the, van, the fans vote for. Uh, but I'll say this, like, this has been a great job. People ask if I miss the NFL, and I do around draft time to an extent. Um, but what we've tried to do here is just build, uh, build a personnel department the best we can with our resources. And like this year, for example, we have 11 former NFL scouts on our staff. I um, mean, we'll be all over the country at games every Saturday. And if it were just me it's sitting in Mobile, Alabama, picking a roster, like that would not be fun. Like I, I'm all about a collaborative process. I love talking about players and, and bouncing ideas and, and, and having those disagreements and, and uh, those respectful arguments, if you will. So, so that's our process. That's how we do it. So we're going to hit the ground heavy. We put the schedule together today as a, as a staff will probably be at a dozen, of, you know, 12, 13, 14 games every week. Um, and just, and we owe it to these players. We, we have to have a real process because there's a lot of players all around the country at all levels, division three, division two, FCS, um, and they all deserve a chance. Um, so we're going to watch all the tape and do the best we can. And we're not going to always get them right, but, um, we're going to do our best. I appreciate the work. You guys mentioned a name and it sends me down a rabbit hole and I get to find out so much more about these players and their stories. And that's why I do what I do is I love to tell those stories and learn those stories. And if not for you all being able to evaluate them the way you are, perhaps I never hear about them. I want to talk a little bit about, you mentioned Patrick Willis, who is an old Miss well, Hall of Famer for me, right? Mississippi Hall of Famer for most, but also you get to work with one. Sly Croom was that guy when I was growing up in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. That was our guy. Do you have a story you can tell us about the great Sylvester Croom? He is a, he is a legend. Um, I would say the best story is uh, when they hired me here at the Senior Bowl. Um, it wasn't a, it probably wasn't a big enough hire at the time. Um, so they they piggybacked they 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 put Sly Croom in the deal. They made him vice president of the Senior Bowl. Uh, he kind of carried the press release, I guess. But uh, no, he's been an unbelievable mentor for me. I, I'll say this like a personal story. Uh, my son played high school football the last couple of years. He was a senior. Um, last fall. And we had a little thing every Thursday night uh, before the games where the families would bring in a guest speaker. Um, and I was able to bring coach Croom in to speak to my son's team, the, the group of seniors. It was just the seniors brought him over to the house. Um, and we played some of the, the ESPN documentary that they did years ago um, on coach Croom and his history being the first, you know, black head coach in the sec and, and just being a pioneer in the sport. And man, to see the look, we played the video first, we played some of the video first. And then when he walked in the room, um, the respect he got from guys. I mean, these kids are, they, they weren't around when coach Croom was, was at Mississippi state and they don't know the legend. And, and now to meet him in person, man, to see it, see the younger generations 
respect and then hear him talk about his playing days at Alabama and what he got from Bear Bryant. Man, it was a it was a special night. I'll never forget it. Outstanding man, outstanding legacy, and means the world to me personally. Uh, before I let you go, Jim, I would be remiss if we did not talk about the guy that we all expect to be the number one overall pick in the 2024 NFL draft. I say we being folks with me, like me with a microphone in Caleb Williams, <laughs> USC, returning Heisman winner. I don't know that we've seen the kind of hype that is around what he has done and could do at USC. Could you tell us what makes him different rather than his ability to just make things happen when the pocket is no longer there? Well, uh, first off, I think we need to come up with what are we coining this thing? You know, mm. we, we had tanking for Tua a few years ago. I don't know what we're doing for Caleb, but uh, no, he's he's special now. I, I don't spend a ton of time watching players that aren't, you know, eligible to play in the recent senior bowl. So um, but, you know, guys are special when you're not looking for them, you're not watching them and they just make certain plays that pop out. Sometimes as a scout, that's how you'll identify a really good underclassman. Like I'm sure back in the day, Charles Woodson stuck out like a sore thumb blanketing people at Michigan. Um, but there's just some of the plays that some of the throws he makes. I mean, I think everyone understands kind of, he has a Mahomes ish quality to, you know, change release points and, and do those things. But what I didn't realize going and watching their offensive line um, over the summer, he's a really good athlete, man. Like he makes some things happen with his legs that I, you know, you don't always see in the highlights, you see mm -hmm. the throws in the highlights um, this dude's a really good athlete too. Now. I mean, he, he gets out in space and can make people miss and he's really slippery. So, uh, true dual threat. I, I don't know who's going to tank for him this year or what we're going to call that. Uh, but he's certainly a franchise quarterback, man. I mean, he, he seems like a, seems like one of the best ones that's come around in a long time. He has certainly said that he wants to play for a younger coach and we'll see what that looks like. So maybe we'll come up with something that has to do with that. Last one for you, Jim, is <laughs> yeah. there is there a player that you are watching that is eligible for the senior bowl that we should know about? Oh man. Uh, we, we mentioned Blake Corum earlier, the running back at Michigan. There's a bunch, just a really good class. I mean, one guy that I, I looked at the other day, who's coming back, who really surprised the NFL is a guy named Jared Burst at Florida state. Um, he's an edge player. He was a transfer from Albany university last year. So every, he transferred way up to the ACC had a monster year for those guys to the point where, there were some NFL teams that had first round grades on Jared last year, had he come out last year. So I think what we're seeing now is some of this NIL is keeping guys in, which, you know, self-servedly, it's great for the senior bowl, right? These guys are staying in school. Um, but Jared versus an impact player. Um, I don't think he'll get out of the first round. He can, he can play the run. He can play the pass and get up to the quarterback. So um, that would be a name for, for casual fans that aren't really into the draft stuff yet. Jared versus Florida state's a good one. I'm certainly going to watch him uh, along with Jordan Travis and what the Knowles have done or uh, just last year, beating up on my Oklahoma Sooners in the Cheez-It Bowl. They got my full attention, as do you, Jim Nagy, executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Thank you so much for taking time to join us here on the number one college football show. RJ, thanks for having me on, man. This was a blast. My thanks again to Jim Nagy, executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, who was outstanding, and I really enjoy his follow on the tweets, you should follow him on the tweets if you are not one of the 175,000K that already do. And that's going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Karaji. Our production assistant is Kiara Santana. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our director is Gabe Gross-Sable. Congratulations to, great, to Gabe, excuse me. Our leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torin Westfall. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all 
to talk with Michael Cohen about Wisconsin and the Big Ten and what's at stake for this conference in its last year in this form on Friday. Deuces.